Welcome, everybody. Righto. So, um, we're going to talk about elders today. So, uh, well, I guess um, uh, I might mention <laughs> my grandma passed away um, uh, last week. Uh, so, she was 93 years old, very fine age. Um, and I'm blessed to still have another grandma who's of the same age. Um, so, and uh, yeah, it got me thinking. I was already thinking about doing an episode about elders and the idea of like just um, the the benefits of growing old, which are not really appreciated so much. I think in our culture, like it's all about youth and blooming and beauty. It's all about action and doing and accomplishing and form. But um think you know um there's a definitely another side to uh to life which is the side of like stillness and just kind of space and uh quietness and the, um there's a whole other dimension which i think we kind of interpret in sp spooky terms like oh that's you know boring or like um sad like you know you're not doing anything or um and so you know the idea of a second childhood that, you know, when you're um, an el an, you're elderly, right? So you're not just old or senior, but you're elderly. So I guess whether that's when you're 70 or when you're 90, you know, I guess it would be when you're become, becoming vulnerable, right? Again, like you were when you were a child. That we kind of perceive that as like the, the harbinger of death and disappearance in the West. Because in general, we, like Nietzsche said, you know, the, the, we've killed God. Like people don't believe in God anymore. So we kind of don't believe life can go on after so we think it's the end so then getting old kind of is perceived as you know the, uh, a whiff of annihilation um however i think that's not the whole truth there i wouldn't subscribe to that particular belief system um i understand why people might think that but we'll get to this in detail but i would give you a little spoiler alert when a spoiler which is people kind of assume in general, in my experience, that, like, so atheists, for example, would say this, that um, the belief that it's even possible that life continues after death, like the people who say that, that they think it's possible or even probable, 
which is what I would say. It's probable. It's more than 50% likely that life continues after death. Um, or those who even say it's certain, you know, a certainty, um, that that's all wishful thinking and basically a desire. It's not based upon logic, but it's based upon a desire for emotional stability um, and, you know, a desire for certainty in life. Um, and that it's all fine, all good. It can help people out. I understand it. But at the end of the day, it's not logical. It's just, you know, feel good, right? It's just a base upon a desire, an irrational desire for certainty. Um, whereas we atheists, you know, we're just at peace with the facts and that's okay. However, I would argue, you know, some people do that for sure. Yeah, they believe in life after death in order to give them emotional stability. But not everyone. And, um, and I would say atheists, a lot of them do the exact same thing. Um, that's why they're still atheists. So instead of being, say, an agnostic, where you say, well, I don't believe you know, in a higher power necessarily, but I believe it's possible. Like, I believe I don't know. I'm just a human. What do I know? Anything's possible, really. What does an ant know about humans? What does a human know about the universe, which is infinitely large, right? So whereas... The, so you could make the case, and I would make the case, that atheists um, basically are subscribing to the materialist, deterministic, or at least materialist um, scientific worldview, like scientism, um, which is based upon a lot of assumptions, actually, not proven things, the results of experiments um, like science, but, um, but just uh, beliefs. So um, atheism, I would say, equally, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, I don't think there's life after death. But have you died? Do you know? You know? So we'll talk a bit more about that. It's not the main point of this episode, but I think it is re relevant when we think about elders and um, aging. But I would say actually a lot of people, they have a desire for certainty um, which expresses itself in this allegiance to this um, worldview they've been given in school, etc., that, you know, Science shows that, you know, there's no God, that's all kind of silly or whatever. There's no life after death. Um, consciousness is, if you get into the details, consciousness is a kind of illusion, actually. And it's all just your brain and that's nothing, you know. Either consciousness is an illusion the whole time or else it's temporary and then disappears, you know. And, you know, that's it. It's a wrap. And it's like, well, you know, you might think, how could that give you certainty? Why would that be... But, you know, basically it's a, this idea like we have complete certainty for a while and then you disappear. So it's kind of a pact you can make. Um, and also it's just familiar, you know, like that's what you're raised with. If you say to someone, well, think about it. You, don't, you haven't died. So after death, either life continues or life doesn't continue. 50-50, right? Isn't that just like equally likely? And then when you hear all these stories of uh, children who Dr. Ian, Ian Stevenson from Boston University, he uh, studied, he went around the world. Um, looking up um, and attempting to corroborate, um, test seeing if he could, um, the stories, widespread stories, where children, very young children, maybe be below the age of five or something, will commonly um, talk about past lives. Like, oh, in my old, with my old mummy and daddy, I did blah, 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 blah. Or in my old house, when I lived on the island, these Pakistani parents, like, what are you talking about? What island? Like, we live in the middle of, you know, the, I don't know, inland, you know? Um, and so it seems like from that, actually, there is evidence that, um, that some things did seem to match up where the stories of the children, like a minority of those children, they were, he was able to, um, I believe, corroborate the stories where it, it definitely looked like um, it was real.
not conclusive, I think. But, you know, anyway, so that, you know, I guess we'll just put that there because that's not the main point. Finish this here. But that there is um, reason to think and, you know, that this is the way it works and out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, people commonly report the same things, you know. Um, and so you could look into that if you want. But I think the main point is um, death is assumed as an inevitability of like the end in our culture. Um, but I would say if you do a bit more thinking and if you are de very determined to be unbiased and just clear-headed and logical, um, you will come to the conclusion that either it's kind of 50-50, like we don't actually know, so no one's run an experiment going, all right, let's see if, you know, you die, then come back and tell us if there's heaven. It's like, well, if you've come back, then you didn't really die, did you? You know, it was a temporary thing. You know, you maybe came back like, you, you know, people who say, oh, they, they were dead on the operating table for like a minute or something, and then they came back. But if you're able to come back, how do we know that, you know, maybe you have to be fully gone before you can, you know, find the next place? You know, possibly. We don't know. Um, or maybe it's just your experience, or maybe you went there and then you just forgot it because you came back. Who knows? We don't, um, I would say no one who's died permanently has come back to tell us what's going on. So, um, but whatever people feel comfortable with, whatever they want in their worldview, if they believe in reincarnation or whatever, that's fine. But I think in our culture in the West, um, especially, yeah, say the English-speaking world in particular, um, we have got this subconscious a lot of people would think that perhaps we're at peace with death, like you've accepted it. But I think a lot of people deep down are very unsettled by the idea of growing old, getting weaker, losing power, and then all that you have slipping away. Whereas if you have that other point of view where you can have the idea that life goes on, then that's not necessarily going to be such a problem. Um, and even if you do believe that death is the end, I think we kind of still appreciate um, and honor and kind of learn more about like and think more about like the the positives of being an elder and what spending time with those people can give us so all right so yeah i think a lot of people and maybe me when i was younger would think like oh why should i go hang out with you know I, maybe this is just me being a psychopath but <laughs> um i didn't grow up with my grandmas that much really like they were um uh, in Ireland and I was in Australia. So I saw them. I, I didn't, I met my, one of my grandmas when I was 12, first time. The other, um, Nana was just passed. Um, I met, I guess when I was really four years old and then maybe seven years old and then, um, 12 when I came to Ireland. And so there's these little, I'd, you know, meet them, at, you know, for a week or like at a time every few years or something. So it wasn't a very strong relationship with these elders I had. Um, and, but then, uh, so I guess maybe I missed out on something that's more natural to people. Maybe, you know, you're like, yeah, Jamie, we know all this, but, um, but it's more when I was older, I kind of, you know, uh, and I, um, I guess say when I moved to Ireland uh, and, and even before that, just spending time with these, my grand, um, grandparents, um, especially my grandmas, cause my grandfathers have both died, but, um, that I came to see like, Hmm, in a way, it's kind of like boring sometimes, like just to be very frank, sometimes like, okay, we're telling the same story I've heard before or like, um, you know, like talking about something which, you know, might be kind of polite chit chat or something that doesn't really interest me too much or, 
Um, and it, just in general with other, you know, older people, this can happen. So perhaps you can relate to my very candid um, uh, statements about, you know, the negatives of like, you know, if you're going to socialize with people your age or you're going to socialize with young kids, you're not quite on the same wavelength. It could be fun, but sometimes you might be like, mm, it's not too stimulating for me because they're just on some other dimension. And then the similar thing with um, elderly people. Sometimes we feel, I think, like, yeah, it's cool, but... Oh, uh, you know, it's not as um, satisfying as someone who's on the same wavelength as you. Maybe it's a bit more simpler. Um, what their, you know, the brain is often some of them. It's, some elderly people can be just as sharp, um, but uh, perhaps like um, the the culture is just the way of being. Back in the past, was more about you know, kind of more what passing news or whatever, or you know, um, or it might be. Um, just ways of life, yeah, where what they want to talk about might be different to what you're interested in as some young person in the modern world. Um, and so you can have these cultural differences and differences of interest, differences of values, where they might have different opinions about things. They might be complaining about immigrants, and you might think, oh, what a drag, I have to listen to this, you know. Um, but, um, and then sometimes, you know, like the body um, grows and then decays, you know, a flower is budding and it blooms and it wilts and it dies. And then another flower buds, blooms, wilts and dies. And so this is the cycle of life and this happens to our bodies. Um, you can take, if you take very good care of your body, good, you sleep enough, you, you eat the um, right amount of good food, um, you know, not too much. In general, less eating less extends your lifetime, um, your lifespan. Um, but, eating good quality, fresh, natural food, um, you know, taking care of your health, right? You can, and being positive, right? And laughing and all that stuff. You can uh, live longer and um, your body will, you know, in general, um, be uh, much more healthy as you, uh, you're getting older, but it will decay sooner or later, right? Um, and your, our minds, you know, the brain is part of the body and that's the interface with which our consciousness is engaging with this dimension so you know it also you know you can see things slowing down like when you're really drunk okay maybe you're, <laughs> you're not as able to do a crossword puzzle or something right so not saying old people are drunk but um it, you know for many people there is some sort of like memory there can be memory issues where memory goes away or um kind of just speech things where speech is slower or you know maybe um ideas become less complex um or, uh, you know, um, learning, you know, being able to learn new things or process new things, um, or just in general, just the, even the, the interest in thinking might wane. It might be just like more satisfying as a resting place just to have one's consciousness kind of more in the seeing mode rather than the thinking mode. Um, so just observing life um, as the watcher, the consciousness, the awareness, um, which, you know, can, is the dominant thing in meditation, right? You're just you're tuning into that pure space of, and silence of awareness. Um, that, and then, you know, so less of the thinking and uh, analyzing and remembering and anticipating and daydreaming and, um, you know, whatever. Like, so it seems like that can happen. Uh, um, and that, so that can, not always, you know, like, um, my nana has just passed. She was very sharp. Like her mind was very sharp until the end. Um, her body began to decay more recently. But um, 
you know, but so, but say like the cultural issue thing, um, where just to me mention that, like, I think it's important. This is kind of a side, I want to talk about this in another episode, but, um, so it's a side note here, but it's not, you know, I think we need to be, keep in mind that future generations, you know, when there's progress at large and p people are, there's enough prosperity and peace where perception is able to grow, right? And people are able to become wiser and more educated, more aware or whatever. Um, it makes sense that future generations, you know, they have higher standards than the, the previous generations in general, if that's the case. They become more conscious of things, less selfish, more, you know, experience accumulates just as it does in a single lifetime, which is one, you know, probably the main reason why elders should be honored. Their experience, you know, their experience accumulates and they're able to kind of give you, say, oh, I've had that problem and I've been had that opportunity many, many times and this is what happened when I did that and that. They've had more experiments and more results for, from those experiments. So they're able to share that with us if they're, you know, being good scientists with their own lives. Um, but similarly, you know, culture evolves and so, you know, new generations are able to reap the rewards of that. Um, and so, you know, future generations might look back and go, oh my God, like, I'm sure they will, you know, like the way we treat animals in general, like factory farming in particular, and, you know, commercial overfishing of the oceans. Oh, let's all talk about climate change, but don't mind the fishing, don't mind their factory farming. It's all about climate change. That's the only thing we need to worry about. Um, and the solution also benefits these conglomerates of mega corporations. Um, that's another issue not to be talked about in this particular episode. But, um, so I think the way we treat animals is something where people in the future are going to look back and go, well, you know, that's pretty gnarly or like pet shops and some of the things that go on. Um, but you know, so would you want your, you, someone who lives a really good life, they're a really good person, but they happen to say eat fish and they don't realize what the fish industry is all about and what it's doing to the oceans, these you know huge fisheries, uh, should they have their statue torn down 200 years from now because of their ignorance? Because that's what we're doing to people who maybe like a few hundred years ago um, were really way, way better than the rest of their generation. You know, they were really making a huge effort to go above the norm of what they were trained to be and actually, you know, made great strides, which helped the next generation move forward and yet will still pull down their statues and, and you know, ah, oh, you know, demean them because they're not up to our standards. So I think there's a lack of humility there. Um, and so I think with elders, it's important to understand that, yeah, they might complain about immigrants or something, or they might complain or whatever it is, you know, um, uh, things that doesn't quite fit with your own current, you know, values or um, understanding or current culture or whatever, but that the, there's a certain leeway to be given. And you should communicate clearly and say, well, you know, I think this, and this is why I think, you know, it, and you can make your case, but I think it's a bit different to when conversing with someone of your own generation where um, it's not so much like giving someone a pass and just letting them be like, oh, I think we should go, you know, kill all the cats. It's like, oh, that's a bit intense, you know. You know, it's more just understanding that we all have our limitations and we all have, you know, you've only got so much soul power. And so say someone who was born into a criminal cartel and they, they are born and raised to be almost like a psychopath. Like you take care of your family, but everyone else, they're barely human. They're just, you know, expendable. Do what you want. Kill them, lie to them, whatever. 
um, rob them. Uh, that kind of person who can, by the end of their life, be kind of like a kind of um, bit of a bit of a mean person, not a very pleasant person, and yet they refuse to do what they were trained to do and to harm others. Now they either leave people be, or they even help them a little bit. In, in you know they try to be a productive member of society they don't, they don't exploit others they were born and raised to be like a vicious snake you know and they've by the end of their life they're like that they're actually uplifting the world in a small way but just kind of more just you know they're a bit mean and you know a bit unsavory but you know they're not causing problems that's better i would say than someone who's born in a very good family by the end of their life they haven't changed at all you know or well, i don't know maybe it's an open question but i think if they've they've done more growth, they've they've expressed more, you know, desire for change and evolution and um, virtue by trying to. That's how we clean up the world. We clean up ourselves, you know, um, and so, you know, and that's an extreme example. But um, so someone, you know, when we're talking to our elders or whatever, and they might say something that doesn't quite jive with what our views, um, but so the cultural difference there. But I think you can still communicate with them, but have an understanding that there is a certain element of humility in understanding that we are standing on the shoulders of giants and that, um, you know, future generations will probably do the same to us, but, Oh my God, how could you say that? And you might say, well, look, that's your way of thinking. I've got a different way of thinking, which maybe was more adaptive and made more sense back when I was there, you know, growing up, maybe the environment's changed. And so the new generation is adapting to that as they should. Um, or, um, maybe it's just an obsolete worldview, but, you know, we can't all be perfect. We be, we're the best we can, but no one scores, you know, a perfect score, like, you know, sport or whatever, you know, or I guess the score can keep going, getting higher and higher, you know? Um, so that'd be something, but so these are now that's, so that's some things of, I guess, I, I don't know why I focus on the negative first, should focus on the positive, but what, what's the benefit of hanging out with our elders? I think, um, for one thing, you know, if it's your family, it's your family and that's, you know, great. And so um, coming from Australia to Ireland, being able to like be with my grandparents has been really amazing and being able to connect to my family like that is really beautiful. Um, and so if, you know, if you haven't seen your grandparents in a while, you know, like uh, I'm sure, you know, when you see them, you can relate to that. Um, so it's, it's a, and I guess not having it around me, maybe it, it's made me appreciate it more now that, um, you know, uh, it, I don't take it for granted or something. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it is, it's very interesting to, I guess there's two main things that I really like about it beyond just, oh yeah, it's nice to be with your family. One is, you know, um, they, well, I guess there's three things. One is um, the experience, right? Like they, ha they have things they've learned, they can tell you about, so they can have good advice, or, you know, oh, yeah, I've been through that and this is, just remember to do that. So they can often have good advice for you. Um, and you might ask them, in this, I've got this situation, what do you think I should do? And so you can do that to your parent, with your parents also, who are elders in a way to us. Um, and, or anyone who's older, you know, they have more experience. So that's one thing. The second thing would be um, that, uh, yeah, they, they're like, have the... <laughs> It's like you can go time traveling. Like I can talk to my um, grandma. Now I can, you know, 
could talk to both of them. <laughs> now I can only talk to one for, but you know, I believe, you know, they're both still in the universe. Just one of them is in this dimension, another is in a different dimension now. But um, I can say talk to my grandma uh, and say, okay, so yeah, tell me what what was it like, you know, when you're young, right? When you're like ten years old. Okay, what kind of clothes were you wearing? Where did you live? What? How did you do? What did you do in the morning? What was your routine? And I'm talking, and you know, and she'll tell me about like the 1930s, you know, like oh well, we, you know, we had this and this, and we had the horse and trap, and we walked along there, and then you know we'd go, you know, milk the cows before, you know, and then um, you know, at the end of the day or whatever, you know, um, dad would uh be there, you know, um, boiling the potatoes, which could we'd feed them to the pigs, and you know, he'd check my Irish or my catechism or whatever, and he'd check that we all did our homework, and the, it's like just. Crazy. You can't find that in a, a history book or, or I'm sure you could, in, but like um, you can find details that are, in, are nowhere recorded. There's, it's not in a library somewhere. It's not in a study. It's not in a movie. It's just in the consciousness, in the memory of a, a, an individual who was there. Um, these little things that weren't important enough to put in a book or something. And so I can say, oh yeah, what were you growing? You know, and oh, how did you do that? Okay. And uh, oh, that, that, some situation happened. How did you react? How did your parents feel about it? And um, it's really interesting. Like my, my grandma, um, uh, McGlue, so she um, was telling me um, about, she, uh, when she is a memory, a very, very young memory. So she's 93 years old now. She's a very young memory, or very old memory, a memory from when she was very young um, of being with her great-grandmother who was a very tall, elegant woman. She was wearing black because her husband had died, so she was in mourning for the rest of her life. That's the way it worked. Um, and uh, she remembers being in the same room as her. So I have a memory of this morning standing, you know, in the street somewhere. Okay, that was just then. I have a memory of physically being there. She has a memory of physically being with this woman. And that woman, so my grandma's great-grandma, that's what my great, great, great grandma. Um, she was born just after the famine, the, uh, the, the great famine in Ireland. And so she was dealing with the aftermath of the death of a million people and the emigration of another million um, and all the chaos and trauma that affected everyone who survived um, out of a population of nine million. Um, two million disappeared suddenly um, and many, many more people were, you know, pretty messed up by it um she was growing up in the aftermath of that um and she was in the same room as a woman who i i'm in the same room listening to her memory of it and so it's just outrageously interesting uh, for me like to think you know these kind of things um so and i i love getting you know once once they're gone it's gone you know we don't have it you have to get it get it get it, get it while it's going you know and then you know we don't have the access to it anymore um so, so I love that, you know, I'll always try to, you know, so I'll go visit her, you know, I should visit, um, her more to be honest, but, um, I think that's a balance with, you know, it's a work in progress, right. But, um, we all have our lives and the things we're trying to build and, you know, live and whatever, but I think it's a wonderful thing to touch base with, um, your forebears and kind of just ask them things like about the family, um, about like life in general back in the past and you can kind of go time traveling. Um, uh, a third thing, benefit of like, apart from just, you know, it being a family, 
and this is something you could get with anyone, right? Um, is that when um, people, elderly people, when they have that experience of kind of their body and perhaps even their mind is becoming, but definitely their body and their life, their opportunities, their circumstances, it's kind of sim become simplifying, you know? Um, well, their body's becoming um, more vulnerable and less able, less able to do things. Things take longer. Some things aren't possible anymore. Um, some things are more complicated, you know. Um, and so it kind of draws in the circle of your um, activities. Um, so that's a simplification of your life via increasing vulnerability of your body. Um, and also just interests. Oh, yeah, I've done that. I've done, been there, done that, worn the T-shirt, <laughs> as my grand would say. And, you know, okay, I don't want to do it. I'm not interested. And so, you know, they, you know, going out there and kind of this outgoing movement is less interesting in general and the inward movement is more interesting. It's more interesting to just consider what you've already experienced and digest it and just be here in the now. And so um, and being an elder is an opportunity for consciousness expansion um, which I think is the most interesting thing there is, actually. So I'm very much looking forward to. I mean, I mean, I'm enjoying my life now. I'm going to enjoy my life at every age. I think every age has pros and cons, and we should focus on the pros, you know. Um, and because why not, you know, makes life better. Um, and so when I'm old, you know, I'm looking forward to. I'm going to be some cool old man with a, a nice suit and order whatever I'm doing, you know. And uh, I think I'm just going to get deep into the mystical dimension of just like the now. And just under, you know, understanding the paradox of how we can be an individual, but you're, we're also the universe. And it seems like that would be endlessly entertaining to investigate and pursue and experience. Um, and uh, yeah, to cultivate my wisdom, you know, and help pass that on to anyone who wants wisdom, you know, um, and uh, the benefits of experience. But you, yeah, it's a great thing. Like when I say, see, visit, you know, when I'm hanging out with older people who are, if they are in that kind of state of perhaps, you know, their mind is kind of simplifying because it's less able, you know, memory, problems of memory, like I can't remember what was happening, you know, a while, you know, five minutes ago or whatever. So it becomes less important. You're more in the now. Um, not in the same way that, say, someone who's fully in command of their mind uh, in their prime can enter the now as a ch voluntary choice. It's a bit less voluntary. But nonetheless, you know, much like a child, right, you are kind of more and more just living in the present moment. Like, you know, you say to a tiger, uh, excuse me, uh, what time is it? The tiger will tell you if it doesn't eat you. Um, what, do you what time is it? It's, na it's now. What, what, other, what other time would it be? And you're, oh, you know, like th three or four, oh, uh, you know, tiger's just living in the now. Everything's now. And so that's kind of, that's a spiritual dimension. Um, and I think the, the highest life seems to be cross it's like the intersection of um the present the eternal dimension and the temporal dimension as Eckhart Tolle describes it um so but you know elders um kind of live more in that uh dimension and so when you when I am with them I like to kind of tune into that and it can be very enjoyable as a balance to you know when you're talking to your friends, it might be more like banter and jokes and more interesting or talking about, you know, intellectual or philosophical stuff or whatever. Or, um, so it's, it's kind of an invitation 
to presence and to that other state. And yeah, and I guess just to connecting to people on a deeper level. And then I think that feeds back into when and when you're connecting with people who are your age and so they're more, you know, they're, they're less kind of just in the, the stillness of the present and they're more, you know, active in life. Um, the life is more dynamic and, you know, yang and kind of like energetic and whatever. Um, you can still connect to those people like you're doing to your grandma or whatever it is, you know, or to your elderly neighbors or whatever, or some random dude on the street that you start talking to, some old guy or whatever, or old lady. Um, and you can kind of start connecting to even the people who have very interesting ideas and et cetera, not just connecting to the ideas, but connecting to the soul, looking into their eyes and just enjoying the simplicity of a connection. So like I can hang out with, you know, my grandma and she might be saying something which I'm like, you know, maybe not bored by or something, but like um, just, you know, not particularly hugely interested in, but kind of like, oh yeah, mm -hmm, just talking and just asking questions and reciprocating just as a kind of like a little dance. Yeah, let's do this dance. We're hanging out. I'm just enjoying the time with you. Maybe it's not in intensely uh, stimulating like the, some conversation about the weather or complaining because I'm like, oh, I love this weather or whatever it is. But even in that situation, and there's many things where it is interesting, you know, like, oh yeah, okay. But just even in the worst case scenario, which I think a lot of people might kind of focus on, often we focus on the negative, but um, but uh, you can just be looking into their eyes and just being here and just breathing and just enjoying the, the present moment um, and just connecting with them and letting them know like, hey, I see you, you know, I see you there, you know, um, and yeah, just being together and then a good great reminder um and you can also bring that depth in when you're talking with other people you know of your own age um so and i think yeah um and if you're especially if it's more extreme and you're you're hanging out with someone who's like got memory problems or something right um uh then or um whatever there's some sort of you know the mind is becoming less sharp and you might you know go like oh you know it's hard to have a conversation or whatever um or if they're asking you the same thing over and over again, if that ever happens, you know, then you can kind of treat it just like a type of meditation where like, you know, you're not meant, it doesn't really matter what's being said. Okay. Yeah. You just repeat the answers or same thing or say a different answer. I guess the same would be true of people with dementia who are younger, you know, if that um, happened, we can still connect with them. The soul is still there. The consciousness is just as clear. It's, you can see there is someone inside for whom there's someone inside there who is the first having a first person video game camera angle experience of the universe where they don't see their face. They just see out, you know, in front of them, you know, in a video game got like the rifle or whatever. And then you, you don't see your face. You're just moving around. That's like, we're all like that in, in, in life, right? That, um, you see your face in the mirror in a photograph, but you never actually see your real face. Right. Um, this, there's other people are having that embodied internal experience an audience of one inside the amphitheater or the cinema of your, your mind. Um, and so you can just say, you know, connect to people and go recognize that presence in people. Um, and, uh, even in the, under, even under the, those, uh, so, uh, kind of more extreme, um, circumstances of memory problems or whatever like that, you know? So I think that's a beautiful thing that, um, I've become more aware of as I've gotten older is that like, uh, yeah, it's not just people who have interesting ideas to talk about that you you can benefit from being with. Um, it's a great benefit from just 
settling in and kind of um, just engaging with people on that deeper level. So these are some benefits of being with uh, older people. Um, also, you know, like culturally, you know, cultural exchange between generations, you know, like you can hang out with someone from a totally different country and go like, oh, wow, interesting. The way they did that was different or the way they reacted to this situation was different to what I would have done or, you know, um, or you hear their thoughts about things. Oh, that's interesting the way you think. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing with other um, generations, you know. Um, the culture may be quite different um, due to changing circumstances. And so you can kind of have some sort of exchange of ideas which can benefit them and benefit yourself. Um, whether you learn something from them or you just hone your ideas about why, mm, yeah, that's, that I don't really like, I don't feel, feel that that's the correct way to do this or think about this or whatever. So even if you're getting exposed to things which you think you don't want to integrate, it's a reminder and a clarification of what you do believe and why. And so it's all, all to the good. Um, so, yeah, these are some benefits of being with older people and, you know, just being an older person yourself. Yeah, you're learning, um, you're growing wiser if you want to. And I think there is the opportunity to really, yeah, go deeper and elevate your consciousness. Um, and basically, why would I do that? Well, it's actually the best thing on, like, it's, there's nothing as good as it. In my experience, nothing is as sweet as truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of who we are, who I am. Um, it's just, you know, deliciously joyful. Um, and you can go, you know, you might not be able to go run a marathon when you're 90, although, you know, is it Helio uh, Gracie or one of the, you know, the Gracie gut family who, you know, innovated Brazilian jiu-jitsu, taking Japanese, the jiu-jitsu from Japan, uh, or jiu-jitsu, uh, and making it what it is today, make it more practical, basically, um, as a self-defense thing. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which has taken the planet by storm, um, uh, that he, you know, he was doing it when he was like in his 90s and just... So you can keep, you know, and being an expert. And so if you take care of yourself, you can physically still have a lot of opportunities. And it seems like it's easier to maintain it than to regain it. So, you know, my plan is uh, basically maintain a state and uh, of optimized health and fitness as, as well as I can. Um, working on it, work in progress. Uh, full disclosure, not as good as it should be probably. Um, but um, sure. One's perfect. We're all juggling and dancing and learning along the way. Um, but then and to just maintain that, you know, and uh, see, you know, build the sandcastle as strong as I can. And then as the tide comes in, just keep playing along and keep building, having fun, enjoying the process. Not to have a sandcastle, but to build a sandcastle. To enjoy the, the journey of um, what someone said, the journey is the reward. Uh, your man, Kevin Trudeau, very interesting stuff. Um, uh, so the, the journey of just keeping your, um, cultivating your health and fitness as long as you can and knowing like no sound cast will last forever and nor should it. Would that be really so interesting? You know, um, so, but nonetheless, um, so we can cultivate our health and maintain these, um, but uh, in general, you know, it is kind of as a natural movement of 
expansion and then contraction, just like breathing. Just, you know, the universe is breathing in birth and death. And birth and, and death are opposites. Uh, as Eckhart Tolle said, you know, like uh, life is not the opposite of death. Birth is the opposite of death. You know, it, it, a life begins, a life ends. You know, um, and life is actually includes all those things. Life is has no opposite. Life is everything. Life is life is infinity and nothingness. It's everything there is. The whole universe is consciousness. The whole universe is alive. There's nothing else. Um, and if you think about it, uh, how could there be? You know. And again, we're ants to the universe. What do we know? But it seems basically, you know, seems to make sense. Um, so, but point being for us as we're getting older and me personally, what my plan is, um, is yeah, just to enjoy the, the ages, um, enjoy what's coming up and the, the new experiences and the new eras that are available. You know, one chapter ends and another's begun. Um, but then, uh, you know, in to, to, become an elder and to be of service to people by cultivating wisdom. And it's kind of a you know transition from the ground up, body, mind, soul, and, or even just say body and so, um, body and mind, like going from, um, yeah, the more practical, well, or embodied, you know, action animal thing more up to the kind of, um, more spiritual side of things, um, and as that can be a you can be blooming in your prime spiritually, even as your body is wilting, um, and that's a transfer of energy, um, and so yeah, that's something beautiful to look forward to, um, and I would say um, you know how long do you want to live? You know, some people, it seems they just want to live as long as they can, or they want to upload their consciousness into a computer or something if they can, or clone themselves. It's like, but isn't that going to be like that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? If you clone yourself, how is that you? Isn't it just some other person living in your body? Like, who knows? Um, but I personally feel quality is more important than quantity. So I'd rather live a short, good life than a long, poor life. Um, and yet... If I can have both, then great. That would be the best quality um, and quantity, but quality being the superior virtue, that the more important thing. Um, and so I think I would like to live as long as I can be healthy. Um, and, you know, I suppose no one really wants to have to suffer in old age, although that is natural to some extent. Like many people have that, but many don't also, you know. Um, but of course that can be intimidating, Sickness, um, uh, loss of consciousness, you know, if there are cognitive problems, that can be pretty pretty terrifying. But I think it's much like everything in life. Um, we can, uh, you know, the serenity prayer. So may I have the courage to control what I can, the serenity to accept what I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. So we can do what we can um, and let life take care of the rest. But I do think um, the idea that um, we should want to be young forever, like, you know, seems a bit immature. See, <laughs> it's a bit childish to want to be youthful forever or 
to be young, to be youthful. You can be youthful when you're old, right? You can be childlike when you're an elder. And a true elder, I guess, should be childlike. You should have that integrated. And a true adult should be childlike as well, I guess. Like, in a way, just trying to integrate your inner child and that kind of element um, of mystery and wonder with the more adult um, you know, expression of competence and whatever and pragmatism. Um, so being an elder. Now, in our society, you know, like... Um, Elders aren't always treated so well, I find, you know. Um, not just that people don't want to be them and they're afraid of growing old and they're not looking forward to it, but um, that maybe people, you know, I suppose this probably always happened with some people, but you hear stories of, like, you know, people hitting elderly people or, like, do you know, robbing them or, like, whatever. You know, of course, the media always focuses on the negative things. Um, that's what they do, you know, makes sense. That's how they make money, you know. Um, by triggering primal emotions, but um, like anger, disgust, and fear, or sadness, but um, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. But that is kind of the way it is in general in the mainstream media, corporate media, legacy media, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it does seem, in general, like that perhaps there has been a kind of cultural degradation where people, you know, children talk back to their parents. Um, teenagers intimidate the teachers and nothing happens to them. Um, and then all the, the boys or whatever are all trying to compete for who's the biggest alpha male by, you know, being problems in the classroom. Whereas if that was nipped in the bud, um, like it was in the past, say, perhaps a lot of those boys wouldn't have felt um, obliged to do that. They, they could still look cool to Susie, Jane or whatever um, without having to go down that road. Um, be be cool within the confines of the limits which are set by the, the school. Or like, yeah, you're doing your work, you know. Yeah, yeah. And look, I got a great score. Oh, within these limits, how can I be cool? What about being extremely competent, you know? Um, or, you know, um, young people talking back to, el you know, insulting or intimidating elders, like, you know, uh, older people in, on public transport or something, or people not giving up their seats or not opening doors or... Um, um, all kinds of things like this. There, there are, you know, we can't be sure how much it's blown out of proportion. But I think everyone, at least me, my sense is that like it seems like that's increased then compared to what it used to be. Um, and so I think, you know, you don't want, you know, say in, in school, like, you know, teachers going crazy, caning everyone. But at the same time, what like a, a student is allowed to like punch a teacher, and the teacher isn't allowed to punch back? I don't know. Doesn't that seem a bit imbalanced? What if it was like you punch the teacher and the teacher punches you back in the face? I guess, you know, the danger would be that it could get out of control. But I'd say there is some sort of balance which has been lost there. And apparently um, there's a lot of teachers who, in I think someone was saying in France maybe, that um, there's areas where the teachers are just terrified that if they did anything like that, um, you know, the, the parents of the kids would come and, you know, be onto them and, uh, not like punching back, but even just talking back or like, you know, kind of enforcing some sort of discipline on people. So, um, and parents, you know, being, there's this idea in the Anglophone world that, um, oh, you're harming your children, you're traumatizing your children. And a lot of the problems in the world are because of this happening in previous generations. By um, infringing the natural freedom of your child, you're harming them, you know, that idea. Um, 
and which is seems to be kind of well, nonsense, you know. Like um, you can see where it would come from, but if you think about it, um, I think it makes a mu much more sense that um, we are actually harming them by doing that. Snake eating its own tail by giving them total freedom, you take away their freedom. Um, if you want to give a, a child freedom, um, like th for millions of years, do you think what you know, S Stone Age humans and you know, humans in the Dark Ages and the Roman Empire or Egypt or like um, 1600s, 1800s, but throughout history, do you think parents are just letting their children be the boss and just do whatever they want? Because children, you know, as they should, they're trying to grow in competence and be a creative being. So they're trying to take control and that's good. They should do that. But do you think the parents would just let them do that? Oh yeah, you want a toy, you want a suite, you want this. That's good that you want things. That means you're alive. If you didn't want anything, that would be dangerous. That would mean there's a problem. Like, oh, you're, maybe you're sick. Maybe there's, you know, where's your drive? Where's your motivation to build your life? Like, um, how are you going to turn into an adult if you're not trying to grow? And, um, but there would naturally be a limit. Just like my tooth, apparently if you remove one wisdom tooth, I had my four wisdom teeth removed simultaneously a few years ago because they said, well, only, uh, only two of them are actually a problem. But if we t take them out, then the, uh, the other two on the other side um, would start to move through into the, the opposing gum because there's nothing, no resistance. So it's a state of kind of, what do you call that? Um, dynamic resistance or something? There's some word for that, I think. Um, but... Uh, these opposing energies where it's a homeostasis, like a balance. Um, and so they had to remove all four. Um, and so I think if we're removing the resistance of parents to the kind of the will to power of young, these barbarians or young children who aren't socialized yet, you know, they're just little, um, little mammals doing what little mammals do. Um, then doesn't that make sense that that's going to kind of cause this to move too far in the wrong way, you know? Um, and it, you know, to become little dictators or spoilt, you know, or mini tyrants. And you see, very sad, sometimes parents who their children are being acting out, you know, and they're kind of practicing, embodying um, behaviors, which, you know, like every parent, I'm not going to tell other parents how to do, how to raise their children, but I will also, I have the right to my opinion. And um, especially when I'm trying, I think it's important to talk about these things so that we can all help each other and show each other our blind spots and try to grow together. Um, that's very the most natural of things, right? So that's all I'm doing here, you know. But um, it's very sad to me when I see children who should be told, no, no, don't do that. That's bad. I'm not saying you're bad. You're perfect. You're, you're my little love. You're my little soul, you know. You're, you, there's nothing wrong with you. What you're doing is bad. You don't want to. You don't want to invite that demon in. You don't. Maybe don't <laughs> say it in those terms. But, but basically, you know, communicating like, no, that's not allowed, um, and imposing that limit on their freedom, that allows them to develop in a healthy direction, where okay, you're not just domineering and trying to take toys from everyone. You're not demanding things of everyone all the time. You're respectful. You're embodying um, ways of behavior which will help you thrive when you're older. Because it's very hard to change when you're older. You can change, but it's it's easier to change when you're younger, right? You're more you're malleable. You're adapting to the environment. So humans can live in the Arctic or the desert or wherever, or all these different kinds cities, jungle, you know, um, nomadic, you know, settled, whatever. All these different milieus you can live in because we the ch the child is so malleable, we can adapt. 
Um, and then once, you know, ad adolescence is like, all right, more or less, we, we, we know where we are. Okay, just solidify this now and work on the details. Um, and so if, if the child hasn't been helped, guided into this is the way things work and this is what will allow, you know, if you behave in that way, it's going to be hard to keep a girlfriend or keep a job or make progress or make friends, you know. People aren't going to want to play these games with you. Um, and so instead of letting society reject you harshly and remorselessly, um, remorselessly, I would do it in a loving way because I love you because, you, you know, <laughs> you've come from my body and, you know, you're my, you're my child. I'm going to do it for you and help set the pattern which is going to help you thrive. So when you do that, you're taking away their freedom in a way you're um, setting a limit, a circle within which they can be free. You can do whatever you want within this circle. Um, so you could say, yeah, but you're restricting their freedom. However, that circle, they can go infinitely deep into it. There's an infinite number of, like chess, you need some rules within which, if there's no rules, you can't play chess, it's boring, right? Um, but then if there are these constraints, these rules, there's infinite variability within that to express yourself. So it's a paradox, but you need um, um, some limit on freedom to have true freedom. Um, and so with a child, it would be, I think, the same thing. You're, you're allowing them then to develop within that, and then when they're older, they can start to build upon that and create their life. Um, and then, So that's, that's an example where elders have a role, um, and I guess that's, I think it's two, a two-way, there's two sides to this, I think, um, the degradation of elderhood in our society. And I think it, it is both that res not enough respect and admiration and recognition and celebration is given to elders, whether it be a parent to a child or an older brother to a younger brother or whatever, saying like, yeah, I know a bit more than you. And it's not always going to be the case, you know, like the older brother isn't always right. Your parent isn't always right. But in general, to understand that, yeah, in general, there's, you know, especially when you're a young child, your parent, they have experience you need. Once you're a teenager, it's a little bit different. But your uncles and people in society, they have things you need, you know, and maybe your parents still. And when you're a student, instead of getting your professor cancelled, being like, well, your professor knows maybe more than you do, maybe, you know, just at least having that presumption until otherwise, you know, um, evident indicates otherwise. So there's both the element that there's um, more respect and honour needs to be given to elders, but also... The complicating things, I think, is there has been a degradation of elderhood itself, where they are elder. There are fewer elders, and in general, I think older people are less worthy of recognition, celebration, etc. Again, not their souls are perfect, but it seems many people, you know, they don't have that shining light of an elder when they're seventy, right? They're still trying to be forty. Many people, you know or they're focused on con consumerism and materialism because of this cultural programming which has ramped up in the last hundred years or so to make huge amounts of money for big corporations. We've got this kind of dumb, dumb, uh, dumbed-down culture um, for the plebs to just go consume. Um, so um, this is, and this, you know, also atom uh, atomization where um, communities, bonds, communal bonds are broken down as, again, for the benefit Partly as a result of technological innovation, cities, trains, um, we're able to live and kind of in a way required to live in order to survive um, in these you know, modern technologically driven environments because, you know, oh, 
like even going back to farming um and like what when the steam engine came in and stuff um you well let's just say for example like uh, a certain point when was that industrial revolution i guess um uh new newer more advanced technology made um farms able to produce just as much food with fewer people so like okay we don't need all these workers here we'll just use these machines um and so okay now the workers what are they going to do they need a job and at the same time in the cities all these there were new machines saying oh yeah we can create new things in the cities we just need people to work them so there's a shift to transition where a lot of people move from the countrysides into the cities to, to get work there um so that's technology driving a change there where it's um and then w- within the cities and within the farm still etc there's been continuing waves of technological innovation driving um economic changes which kind of separate people from the communities um and from i guess culture or traditions traditional knowledge perhaps um and but then also along with that there's been this kind of intentional cultivation of um I think a, a more dumbed down culture just because profit at all costs. And there's all these feedback loops, you know, like, um, so say the, the death of God in Nietzsche's terms saying, Oh, you know, we have killed God and all, is it, um, can't remember the thing, all the, can't remember all the something in the world can't wash our hands clean of the blood or something. Um, so I think with that profound change in our culture, um, uh, some people, you know, nihilism has become much more common where people think, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You know, nothing really matters. Um, and so that kind of, again, allows more of a, well, I just want, I'm going to invest my money. I want maximum profit. Oh, this corporation is doing terrible things to people or to the environment or to culture or to whatever. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's not really my problem, is it? Um, I'm just going to, you know, if I don't do it, someone else will do it. So I'll just let that happen. Um, and I'll just, you know, get my short-term profit by, by supporting this corporation with my investment, uh, my capital. Um, in the past, people would have gone, well, that's not very Christian. I'm going to get in trouble with Jesus, <laughs> more or less, you know. So, okay, I can't do that. And so there's these kind of checks and balances on these processes. Anyway, that's a, a tangent, right? But this is just another aspect, so, um, social and economic um, changes, connected to cultural changes, um, causing people to be detached from communities and social bonds where it's no longer, you know, um, it takes a village to raise a child. It's like, well, where's the village, you know? Um, even in a village, people might all be on TV and, you know, there's more like talking to each other and stuff. But, you know, um, in general, it seems like we're, we're gaining, I'm able to talk into this microphone and communicate with people all over the planet via technology. So there's, you know, all hail technology. It's amazing. But like almost everything, it's um, it's it's got the other side to it. Um, uh, you know, there's uh, detriments to it, um, downsides, and um, I think uh, it has, uh, in general, caused uh, a lessening of communal bonds and a disruption of the traditional kind of society. And so, elders aren't passing on all this knowledge as much. Um, and when, you know, or when, you know, the child is acting up against the parent or something and, you know, the village or the community might previously have a talk to the parent or a talk to the child to say whoever's out of line and it might help. Um, but that's happening less, it seems. And so, and there's all kinds, and, you know, the elders regulating the adults 
regulating the children, you know, so it's difficult, but it seems like to come back to the main point, not only would I advocate, I think, you know, parents being benevolent dictators and saying, look, I'm not your, your friend. I'm not just your friend, little child. You know, I'm something a bit different. It's called a parent, right? I'm like a friend, but I'm also here to help make you um, compatible with society in a way that respects your soul um, and doesn't turn you into a zombie. But um, I'm not here just to make you feel good. And if I try, if I do that, I'm actually going to cause the opposite. I'm going to make you feel terrible because I'm going to make it very hard for you to live in this ecosystem. Um, and so there's that. And then in school, same thing with teachers having enough power over um, the school kids. Oh, you're going to cause problems. And so the whole class can't learn and they get more and more bored and then more and more, you know, troublemakers start to appear as just something to do. Oh, how about three strikes, you're out or whatever, you know, you can, then you need to regulate the teachers more and make sure they don't abuse their power. Um, but I think it should be like, oh, if you're just constantly trying to ca cause problems in the classroom, guess what? Um, you're expelled, you know, or go to a different class, see if it's the problem with your chemistry with the teacher. Oh, you're causing problems in that class too. Okay, well, you're expelled now. Um, so maybe we'll try to find something for you, but there's got to be some accountability there. Otherwise, it just hurts everyone. And so, or you know, rightful authority i think in the west we have a problem with it's very ironic a problem with authority like culturally um legitimate authority authority has been so delegitimized in many ways but even while um it's, it's like benevolent authority has become delegitimized but then illegitimate um or or um we could say you know malevolent or toxic authority has become legitimized like schools being able to control you know oh you have to take a vaccine or you can't come to school or something or um, you have to take this medical procedure or else you can't learn, you know, or um, the government saying, oh, yeah, you know, you need to pay half your money in taxes because we love you. And, oh, yeah, and we're all, you know, there's all these corruption scandals all the, all the time and no one's even surprised anymore. And it's, you know, uh, a cliche that politicians are oily, sleazy, uh, untrustworthy. Everyone is just taking for granted is in general that's true. The people who want fame and attention and power and prestige and they're not generally um, primarily concerned with helping. That's like the people who are at the very top anyway, who are able to get through the systems and the defense mechanisms within these systems. Everyone knows this, but it's just, oh, it's just the way it is. All that money in the Cayman Islands and your um, Panama Papers and all that. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're all, you know, or the, you know, the HSBC is caught um, laundering money for the drug cartels and yet then they'll turn around and they'll have their anti-money laundering thing where you need a, you can't just access you need two-step verification and it just makes things more of a pain in the butt trying to look at your money um you know there's all these weird centralizations of power in unsavory groups and yet decentralized power in legitimate senses of a teacher over their classroom parent over their children um or um you know elders say over the community uh, seems like that's kind of gone out the window a little bit. And again, I don't know all the answers, you know, like, but just uh, thinking, and I think, you know, something we need to think about because it seems like things are sliding a bit in society. You know, you have you noticed? Probably, right? Um, so I think, you know, talking about it is basically the first step. We need to become aware of what the problems are. Then we can try to become aware of solutions. But step one is what, what are the problems and maybe how do we do that? Well, 
I have my own ideas. I talk to myself and try to think it through. What's a problem? What's not? Um, and you do the same and everyone else does the same. And then we share notes, you know, and we figure out what, oh, it, almost everyone agrees this is a problem. It probably is then. Um, let's now, okay, next step. What's the solution? Um, so, um, so yeah, but you know, like, uh, I think, uh, there's been these losses of traditional knowledge. So I think there's, it's, there's an opportunity and a challenge both, right? Two sides of the same coin for, um, uh, people who are, you know, getting older, uh, oh wait, that's me and you and everyone, um, to kind of try to be becoming, um, more and more wise and competent um, and just balanced and healthy. Live your best life because it's not just your life, it's everyone's life. You know, we're all together in this. And so, you know, and the best way to do that is to treat it like a game, I think, to have fun, enjoy it, you know? So it's not like a drag, some serious thing. Oh, we have to save the world. What a, how unfortunate. How, um, it sounds so heavy and serious. That's not a, that's not going to save the world, I don't think. I think the way to save the world is, um, use lightheartedness to be able to allow you to carry very heavy loads um, and to, to enjoy life, you know, and um, let your conscience be clear and let your have a spring in your step and just enjoy your life as much as you can. And then there'll be times when you can't do that and you just have to just try to accept suffering and tragedy and tyranny. Um, but then uh, most of the time I think we can we can have joy, if not all the time. Um, and that allows us to more power to kind of help the world. But the, the point being like, as you're a teenager to try to prepare for adulthood as an adult, preparing for elderhood an elder preparing for death and the transformation and transition into whatever's next. Um, and, uh, of course, child preparing to be a teenager and all that. Right. So, yeah. So I think that's more or less what I wanted to say that, there's great benefit in being an elder um, and there's great benefit in connecting to elders and we can learn so much from them and um, and just give them gratitude because they've been here, they've been around a long time, they've been working, they've been talking, they've been part of the world and when we're elders, we will want to be shown the same courtesy and connection and to be recognized as, yeah, we're, we're still here, you know, we don't need to be shunted away into some old folks home where no one has to look at us getting older and then dying and, oh, we, we you know, we never want to see a dead body, like, oh, keep it all, put them in makeup. If we're going to look at them in a casket, they better be in makeup, you know, not wanting, being like afraid of looking at death or dying or sickness, put them in hospitals, you know, um, and that, you know, no, we don't need to be shying away from this, just um, understanding, yeah, like, this is part of life and um, we can celebrate this and encourage this um, as a kind of a new opportunity. Your life isn't over after 60 or whatever. It's like, no, you're just beginning this new life, this new stage, you know? Um, and th there's an opportunity for rebirth there, rebirth every moment if you want. Um, and that there is a great place, a crucial place for our elders. And, um, this guy Michael Mead talks about M E A D E Michael Mead, I believe that's how you spell it. He's very very interesting. He was on he had a great podcast with Aubrey Marcus, um, Aubrey <laughs> A U B R E Y Aubrey Marcus, um, who he has great podcasts in general. But this Michael Mead fellow was like talking about um, uh, myths, mythology, and ancient Greek myths, and all this kind of stuff. And 
just really interesting about all the stories of the past. And that's a great thing that elders used to pass on to um, the younger generations. And, um, but talking, he was talking about in that episode that um, we have a shortage of elders and that more elders are needed. And that, you know, that this could play a huge role in kind of bringing us to a more peaceful ah, place in history. Um, getting out, you know, um, yeah, navigating the birth canal of all this madness that we're all going through currently, um, planetarily and, you know, in our own lives as a reflection of that. Cause we can all feel like, oh yeah, do things feel like they could go on like this sustainably? Mm-mm. <laughs> no. Well, for most of history, it was like, things can go on like this sustainably forever. That, and then now let's focus on daily life. This is a wonderful and this will always be here. Life is always more or less, you know, like, and then but every now and then are these, these cataclysmic kind of moments in time, whether it's by an asteroid or by, you know, a cultural crisis or technologically induced cultural crisis or whatever. Um, and so elders have a place here just as the, we all have a place, you know, all parts of the mosaic or parts of the jigsaw puzzle. Um, and so I think we can try to encourage um, that in others to, like, you know, the the most honorable version of elderhood by honoring them, visiting our grandparents and spending time with them and kind of letting them be aware, like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, wow, I'm, I've got all this stuff that they don't know. I'm telling all these stories. They keep asking me. That's cool. And, like, oh, they want to be with me. Okay, so I am important. Okay. And maybe I want to be with them too. And maybe I, then there'll be a bit of osmosis and exchange of ideas and perspectives and, um, maybe they've got some crazy thing. Oh yeah, I'm just not going to do that because of this. And you say, oh, that seems a bit selfish. Seems a bit hedonistic. Uh, what does hedonism mean? Oh, it's, you know, like focusing on yourself too much and just pleasure rather than some greater principle of, you know, being a good person or something. Oh yeah. Good point there, grandma, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know? Um, so I think, you know, those who aren't elders, we can kind of try to, celebrate them and connect with them. And then those who are our elders or are becoming, we're all becoming them, I guess. Yeah. Just to try to be, be that role. And, um, and in general, just being surfing the wave of life graciously and gratefully, um, and gracefully, uh, by enjoying, uh, youth, but also enjoying age. Um, and that, you know, it's not the young wines that have the most fun, you know? And so, um, there are, there are many games to play. And, uh, yeah, as we're transitioning through time, the opportunity is to, to resurrect, uh, the, the wise elder archetype in ourselves and others, I guess. But, um, so yeah. And, you know, um, so I guess this is a bit dedicated to my Nana who's passed, and uh, passed into another dimension, so I can talk to her. I don't know if she can hear me, but um, yeah. So I'm very grateful for all she's given me, and um, all she has uh, embraced from me, and um, and just the the fruits of sharing life with. Uh, with uh, those of a previous generation, and just in general, just soul to soul, uh, you know, 
as fellow souls in in this miracle of whatever the universe is. So that's it. Many thanks, Agus Gach Banacht. I'm a hish, not Hishmahori, that'd be parent. Shanwaha, grandma. So go hug your grandparents, or if they're not here, if they're in the next dimension, go hug your parents. If they're not here, if they're in the next dimension, hug yourself and uh, up the up the elders. Power and glory to our wise, shimmering, uh, silver-locked spiritual leaders. <laughs> See you next week, everyone.